Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Wow, what a privilege to be here this morning. What a privilege to be, to get to know the family of God here on this side of of Europe. It's just a privilege to know that we're more than just a visiting uh, missionary, but we're actually family. We feel like we're home. We feel like we're at your home, and we're a part of your home. We may be extended part, but we're still part of it. Uh, it you know, the Word of God says that we're the temple of God, and I think that we underestimate the power of that. And if we can really re- realize one of the main things that happened when Jesus the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, He made us a fit vessel that He could habitate, that He could live in. And God, while we celebrate God in this house, God celebrates His presence in your house, in in your temple. So we are the light of the world, and God has put all His hope in us as His body in reaching out. He has given us all the authority in heaven all the authority on earth to share the gospel, to carry it to the ends of the world, and to just trust Him to lead us, to speak through us. And it's supernatural how that when you least expect it and you take that first step, just like stepping into the waters of the Jordan, you step into the, into the waters and then God parts the water. And that is our way of faith. That is our way of uh, trusting Him and going in full confidence that God is with us, God is for us, and it has nothing to do with our righteousness, but has everything to do with His righteousness. It has everything to do with the Lamb of God who took away our sins. And when we look into the mirror, the true mirror of the gospel, we do not see, like the, like the law of Moses, you look into the mirror, you see your own reflection, your own, uh, your own mistakes, your own, your own shortcomings, your own reflection. But when we look into the pure mirror of God's grace, we don't see our reflection. We see His His person. And it is an encouragement. It's to to trust Him. It's to become like Him. It's to carry on forward each day with faith that God will do a work. Like uh, Pastor Nick was saying, God called me as a single man from, I spent two years in Guatemala working in an orphanage. I went down with a suitcase and a toolbox and volunteered at orphanage. Well, a couple of years went by. I learned the language. I learned the culture. I learned to love black beans and rice and tortillas and bananas and mangoes and platanos. Are y'all getting hungry? <laughs> so I learned to love all of that. But then uh, I ran into this missionary from El Salvador. A lot of people in Latin America go to Guatemala to learn, to go to language school and learn Spanish. And this missionary was perfectly fluent in Spanish. He, he was a missionary in Guatemala, but his wife was trying to learn. So he had her in school and he would come back and forth from El Salvador just across the border and, and visit his wife in language school. So I ran into him three times and all three times he said, why don't you, why don't you come see what we're doing in El Salvador? And I said, aren't you in civil war over there and like everybody shooting at everybody? And he goes, yeah. He said, there's a civil war and we're building an outpatient clinic and we treat the refugees. We go to refugee camps. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm fine right here in Guatemala. I don't think I want to go 
to El Salvador in the middle of the war zone. And the third time that I supernaturally ran into him in the third invitation, I finally decided I will come to El Salvador. It's a 30-minute flight. I'll just fly over. I'll spend the weekend there, and then I'll fly back home to Guatemala. So I want you to know that you know how the Holy Spirit speaks to you? And it's not earthly. It's not intellectual. It's not wisdom of man. But it's the Spirit. Before the plane ever landed in El Salvador, God spoke to me as I entered the airways of that country that God wanted me to come. So when they picked me up at the airport, I said, you know what? I mean, I'll, I'm excited about seeing your mission and all that, but God has already spoken to me before we ever landed the plane. I'm coming to El Salvador. I'm coming to join you. So sure enough, we went there, uh, or I went there and joined them. We're renovating this clinic, but we started going. My, my passion in life has always been, since, since conversion, planting churches in remote areas, planting churches where there's no gospel. So I would leave the mission base and the safety and security of the home and go out to, this, to these villages that are through the enemy line in land and territories that are not uh, controlled by the military. They were controlled by the communist guerrillas. And the two biggest threats of communism is first, you know, being an American in Central America and knowing that the, our government supported, you know, that whole defense against it. So as an American, I was their enemy. And then as a Christian, I was their enemy. Because a true Christian is not going to take arms up against their country and take away from the rich and give, you know, take, take from the rich because we think we have rights to it. You know, the Christians just won't do it. And it reminds me of a story in this village where Rocky and I actually later on moved into and we started a church there. One of our newest and, and baby Christian converts, Manuel, accepted the Lord and he was just so just so changed and transformed by the presence of God in his heart. But a baby Christian, we actually started an adult literary class to make roads into their, their little culture in this little refugee, you know, site in this little town. And uh, one of our adults that learned barely to read and write became a Christian, Manuel. And Manuel was so transformed by the news of the great good news of the kingdom of God that he was just on fire for the Lord and just so excited. But then the gorillas swept in the town and they, they, uh, they recruit everyone. They, they take them by force. Anybody that can carry a gun, even little kids, if they can carry a gun. And I've truly seen pictures of little kids holding rifles taller than they were. And they were recruited by force into this miserable war. So Manuel was a candidate to be recruited. And the guerrillas, he was trying to make it to our, you know, to, coming down the street, coming to the mission base. And he's just on fire for the Lord. And he ran into one of the guerrilla leaders. And the guerrilla leader told him, he said, tomorrow at 12 o'clock, we're leaving town and we're going back up into the mountains. And you have been recruited and you're going with us. Say good, goodbye to your family and goodbye to your friends because you're going with us at noon tomorrow. And Manuel said, he didn't know any scripture. He didn't know anything. He just said, I can't go with you. I'm a Christian now. I can't go with you. And the gorillas threatened him. He said, you're either going to go with me or I'm going to kill you. Do you understand that? And you know what Manuel's response was? He's a baby Christian. He didn't know scripture, but he had the spirit of God living in him. He just said, with all humility, 
But true confidence, he said, if God wants you to kill me, you'll kill me. He said, you heard what I said, 12 o'clock right here tomorrow. So Manuel was ter ter terrified. He went home and, and he couldn't get to the mission. The gorillas were all in town. He was scared to walk around. But the next morning, he thought he needed to come to the mission and ask for prayer. And ask for counsel from us. What should he do? So it's a long three blocks. And then he would hide in the, in the, dark, in the shadows. And then he would look for no gorilla. And then he would make another couple blocks. And then he would hide in the shadows. And then he would go inside a, a door. And then he would wait. And he said he made it all the way to our street. And he said, I'm only three doors from the mission house where Rocky and I lived. I'm only three doors from there. And he said, I made it. I made it. And he started walking the last 50 feet. And don't you know, right out of the little house next to us that had a little store, had Cokes and drinks and stuff. Don't you know the gorilla leader walks out of the door right between him and our house. He said his heart just fell. He just couldn't believe it. He was, he's like, no, no, this can't be. And all of a sudden there was a shot, one shot, a sniper shot that gorilla right in front of him and he fell to the ground. I remember that day. I didn't hear about this story for almost 10 years because we'd moved to Guatemala after that. But I remember hearing the shot and I came outside and I said, what happened? And the gorilla said, one of our men was shot. I said, bring him in. I'll try to stop the bleeding. I'll take care of him. I'll see what I can do for him. And they said, we can't. We're under sniper fire. We got to leave. But the very man, the very man that represented everything that was evil and everything that was wrong for the rest of his life, the rest of Manuel's life, stood in front of him. And Manuel knew nothing about quoting the scripture. He didn't have a prayer life. He didn't, he just was barely saved. But he knew one thing. He knew he could trust the God that had moved inside of him to live. And God delivered him. That story was saved for 10 years when Rocky and I got in some problems. And we came back from Guatemala. We came to visit the churches that we had planted in El Salvador. And the police department had grown, were growing drugs up in the mountains and we reported them to, to the American police people. And they literally sent police's, police loads up to kill us. They literally called me out of the house and were going to take me to the mountains and had me killed. And Jason Conlon was there. And Jason was a military uh, Marine and he came in and said, Michael, he said, I don't understand Spanish but I see what's happening here. They're going to take you up there. They're going to plant drugs in you. They're going to kill you. And I said to him, Jason, I said, I realize that. But I said, I don't want to get killed in front of my family. Number one. So I said, number two, you know, you're a Marine. I said, we clearly got this. I've got the Holy Ghost. You got, you're a Marine. We've got this. He looked at me like, I'm crazy, but he's a Marine. So he goes, you got a gun? I said, well, I do have a gun in the house. So I went and got the house and I handed it to him and he looked out. I had a gun, never, took, never shot it, but I have a gun that someone gave me on a team. He popped out the clip and there's only two bullets in it. He goes, you got any more bullets? I said, dude, you're a Marine. You got two bullets. He goes, let's go. 
So I went in to tell Rocky. I said, Rocky, you know, I tried to pass it by her as nonchalantly as I could. You know, the police are here and they want me to take them up in the mountain. There's somebody that they want to check on and they want me to lead them to the house. She goes, they're going to kill you. What are you talking about? And I said, well, she said, you're not going. You just go out there and you tell them you're not going. So if I can't get it past the wife, it's not a good deal. So I went out there and I said, look, and by then, all the locals started gathering around. Middle of the night, no electricity out there. The men were scarred because they fought with machetes. Now, a lot of them are Christians. So they're all scarred in their faces and stuff, and they're carrying machetes, and they all start filling the outside of the house. And all of a sudden, these policemen were getting very uncomfortable because they came from town where it's flat, and, and, you know, they can't walk and run through the mountains like this. And so they're getting very uncomfortable. And I said, you know, somebody could get hurt tonight. This is clearly an ambush being set. And I said, somebody could definitely get hurt tonight. But I said, You're, we're missionaries. We're not going with you. If you need to go up and investigate something, somebody did something, go right ahead. But my men here, my locals, they know right where you need to go and they'll take you. So all of a sudden, everything changed and they were like scared. I said, mark my words, they won't even make it to 100 yards and they're going to be out of here. Sure enough, the cars started up and out they went. They left. But God protected us. And we stood, and we stood. You know, all our lives, we've had to stand against the fear of being killed. It's almost like you can, you can predict it. Somebody wants to kill you. Somebody wants to stop you. Somebody wants to shut you down. But we always come back to the same exact place. I am confident that he who has begun a good work in me is faithful. He is faithful. Rocky and I started uh, this work in, in, in the mountains there, and years went by, and we preached our hearts out. We went in a tent, and we went and bought a chainsaw in a tent, and we pitched it in this village. We cut trees down, and we built a little cabin. It was tin roof and just four walls and a little door that we made. And Rocky goes, I said, how do you like your new home, babe? And she goes, well, it's nice. But it's kind of dark in here. We can't see. I said, you want some windows? She goes, sure. So I started up the old chainsaw. Where do you want them? <laughs> and I cut holes in the side of the house and made little shutters for her. And that was our house. But we started there living in the village. We, I thought, you know what? They're going to accept us. We're living in their village. We're going to be like the villagers. And we were the millionaires. As soon as we built this little cabin on the mountains, we were the millionaires that moved into the village from their perspective. We were the Martians from another planet. And after a while, we started feeding the children because they're so malnourished. We started feeding the children. And all of a sudden, from one day to the next, they didn't come. And we're like, what happened? Why, why are the children not coming? Where are the children? And one of the kids said, well, somebody told us that, that they must, they, they spread a rumor. They said, maybe my, our kids are too skinny to eat and they're fattening them up because they, they're too skinny to eat. So they were scared that we were fattening up their children's teeth. I said, we don't eat children. We eat, we eat chicken. <laughs> and I said, we're the missionaries. We're here to help you. Little by little, over years, they trusted us. Little bit by little bit. But Rocky and I were working in illiterate villages, and they had strong roots of Catholicism. They had strong roots of, there were, they were, they were roots tying them to their religious history, historical thing. There was no life. There was no joy. There was no deliverance, no freedom. 
no life, vibrant life that there isn't God. But it was so difficult. For years and years went by. And you know what finally happened? We had a meeting in another village. We invited these awesome musicians like what you have here. We invited them to come share. So when there was a special event, everybody in the village would come. So the place was packed. Now this is after 10 years. 10 years of living there and serving and working. And one of the local men, right in the middle of worship, we're all standing up just like this morning, where you could hardly get through the aisles. So packed full of people. Everybody was there. The witch doctors were there. The drunks were there. The murderers were there. Everybody was in the church. And from the back end, when he gave the altar call, the evangelist that came, he gave an altar call. One of the men from the village that was born and raised with everybody made his way to the front. And he was an albino. He had a pigmentation problem in his skin. And, it, you know, Guatemalans are very dark. So he was, half of his body was white as white as an onion. He's white as he could be. His arm is white. His hand was white. His leg was white. His chest, his face, right through his whole body. He was born that way. He lived that way. Now he's 30 years old. And he came to church. And he got on the, on, at the altar. He got on his knees and received Jesus. And when he left, he went home that night. We had three nights meeting. So the second night, we're all worshiping God again. We're all celebrating, you know, Jesus. We're all standing up. And this man came in the second time. And he had a long sleeve shirt on and he had a big hat on, sombrero. And he made his way to the front. And the lady, I'll never forget this because I was sitting right there. And the lady was standing right here with, not quite this high, but half this high. And she was singing a song. And the cord of the microphone went down to the floor. And right in the middle of the song, that man grabbed a hold of that microphone cord and started pulling on it. And she was like, so finally he just gave it she gave in to him and handed him the mic everybody in the church says what is he doing what is old Octavo doing because they knew him right and he turns around and he said I went home last night a born again believer and this is how I woke up his entire body was perfectly normal his skin was completely all brown all normal, all natural, and a complete miracle took place. And everybody in there knew him from birth, went to school with him, knew his parents, knew his grandparents, and they just clapped. And they saw that God, not because we asked him, not because we prayed over it, we didn't see it as sickness, we didn't see it as, a, as an issue. He didn't see it as an issue. But God used it to glorify his presence. God used it to glorify his name and to, us, to substantiate his word. After 10 or 11 years, God began to do a work, a revival. And God began to touch souls. You know, I went down as a single person. I went down just suitcase and a toolbox. I volunteered, wound up in El Salvador, working in the war zone. And then I heard about these missionaries in Guatemala, a couple that were trying to go by bush plane into this village where it was very, very war-torn. Well, I'd been working a few years in the war zone, and it didn't bother me to work in the war zone. I trusted God to open. The Bible says that God will open a door that no man can shut. And he said he will shut doors that no man can open. And I lived like that. 
So when this couple said, man, I, we, are, we really want to go and work in this area, and the people that have a cabin up there that do coffee, they have a place where we can work. The people are all dying of tuberculosis. And we want to go up there and help them, but we're, we've never worked in a war zone, and we're, and, and we're terrified about it. And I said, well, look, I'll just take off a few days here in El Salvador. I'll come over there, and we'll fly in there together. So, really, you'll go with me? Uh, sure, I'll go with you. Sure, this is exciting. This will be great. So, the first time in, um, we were coming in for, it's in a grass strip. And we're coming on final approach. The, fl the flaps are down, throttled back. We're literally floating to, to land. And there's only one little radio on ground. It's the military that are trying to keep some sort of control over that, that little village because the, all the other villages were brought there. There were refugees, massive refugees. And there was a handful of military people holding the secure place. Well, right as we we're almost touching ground, the radio came on, on radio and said, abandon your approach, abandon your approach. We're under attack by the guerrillas from the mountains. They're attacking us. So I didn't hear that, but the pilot did, and he lifted his flaps, shoved in the throttle, and didn't land. He just kind of skirted off the, and took off, and he flew up. And I said, what's the matter? He said, they're under attack, you know, because it's a loud, loud, loud plane. They're under attack. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Wow, thank God we found that out. Thank God we knew that before we landed. But he didn't. I said, we're going back to the city. He said, no. He said, you know, I pay him to fly him in there. He's not going to take me back and not get paid. He said, we'll just wait and they'll, they'll radio us back when it's safe to land. And I'm like, what? So like 15 minutes later, here he came and he landed. And I'm kind of nervous. I'm all by myself this trip to go out there and meet the, this couple. And he rolled to the end of the runway. Slant, you know, planes have uh, left brake and right brake, right? He slams the left brake as he reached back and opened the door of the plane, my door, the plane spun around. He said, out. I'm like, come on, let's have a, out. And I no more got out and holding the door in my hand, <laughs> goodbye. And that's my first entrance. Had a great trip. The people were lined up massively, sick people. Um, the next trip, the plane was coming crossed the mountain, high mountain ridge, and the plane couldn't get elevation, couldn't get elevation. I said, what's the matter? Something's wrong with the plane. It won't, take, it won't come in. Mountain ridge like this, perpendicular. There's a, he had to go down the ridge to find a, a break in the mountains to get through, and the plane just couldn't get elevation, couldn't get. I said, what's the matter? He said, something's wrong with the plane. So we're in the middle of the dense jungle, dense mountains, no place to land, no flat place. I'm thinking, okay, praise God. All right, so hopefully it'll last till we get through the mountains and there'll be a place to land on the other side of the mountains. Well, we made it through the mountains and there's no place to land, solid trees. So now the plane, you know how it has a stall buzzer? When a plane starts to fall out of the sky, it goes bzzz. All of a sudden, I hear that buzzer. And he noses it forward. He, he just, you know, his, his airspeed, keeps his airspeed, gets lift and then cranks the plane up, and all of a sudden he starts it up again. <laughs> this happened three times. And finally, there's no place to land except that one little grass strip in the middle of the war zone. He finally lands there, and, but this time I had the two couple with me, so it was all three of us in the plane. 
And when we landed the plane, he jumps out of his plane and starts to work on his motor, right? Well, we see the mass refugees coming to the plane, looking to us for help. So we said, praise the Lord, we, we made it. Hallelujah, let's go. We set up clinic and we start treating the people. And that night, after everybody left, late at night, we were just sitting there worshiping God. Just us three, praising the Lord. And in came the pilot with a fifth of whiskey. He came in there, watched us a little bit. And he came up to uh, Charles, which was the other missionary. He slams down that whiskey. And he grabs his Bible. He said, I'll trade you that bottle of whiskey for your Bible. There's no reason why God saved me in my plane. The only reason I'm alive is because he saved you. You were in my plane. And literally, that man got saved right there on the spot. Never drank again. Was completely transformed. But that's, that's where it was where one day... As a single man serving God, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. And I know your wife, you're not supposed to call her a thing, but the Bible does say he who has found a wife found a good thing. <laughs> so based on that scripture, <laughs> I'd like Rocky to come up and share because she was single and she came out and she made her way to meet the same couple. I didn't know she was coming. You know, something that I love is that our God doesn't see us as male or female or young or old. You know, he just looks for a willing heart, a heart that just says, here am I, Lord, send me. He's not looking for your education. Did you go to Bible school? How prepared are you? Do you have support? He loves to be the God of miracles, the God of faith. He loves to show his faithfulness. And I love, you know, seeing God do things that are miraculous. We have to be willing to not lean on our own understanding, right? So anyhow, I'm going to quickly go into this. But, um, you know, for, for my heart, I, I had um, a word from the Lord when I, I was um, living in Florida that's where my family, that's where I'm from. And um, I had a word from the Lord when I read Isaiah 6, 8 that said, then I heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And um, it was something that penetrated my heart in such a way because as I read it after my fifth or sixth time of reading it, I was really beginning to hear the voice and the heart of God. And what it was is he was looking to and fro throughout all the earth. And he was looking and he was crying out, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And, um, and I felt like I, I asked God, I said, God, why are you crying out? There's churches all over the place, you know, in the States. And behold, there's a line out the door of people that want to get into the ministry. Why are you crying out? And what kind of places are you trying to send them? And he said, there are places that nobody wants to go. And I said, well, what kind of places would nobody want to go? And he said, because of a lack of comfort or because of fear of death. And I, and I, you know, this is one of the main things that as the body of Christ and as the, the children of, of, of the most high God, 
the creator of the universe that we call daddy. And he calls us his beloved and his children, his bride. That we need to know is that, you know, our life, our one and only life, we need to live with an attitude of fear not. Fear not. Fear not. No self-preservation. No looking for my um, comforts or, you know, what's good for me. But one of laying down our life. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. But Christ liveth within me. And the life I now live, this is our declaration. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Oh my gosh, he gave himself for me. And we too now respond with giving ourselves for him. It's not about us. He left all of his glory. He was nailed to the cross for us. You know, for the joy set before him. The joy set before him. He endured the cross. What was that joy that was set before him to endure the cross? Was it not us? Was it not that he knew that he was going to take us home to the father's house? Were we not the joy set before him? Can he be the joy set before us? Can we endure the cross? Can we run our race, our one and only life, this breath of time that we have in our eternal being? We are all eternal. We are here for such a short breath, like a vapor. What do we do with this vapor, this most important time of our existence? Once we get home to heaven, we are there for the, the millions of years. But this is our vapor to live by faith. The only thing that we can bring home is our faith. The only treasure that we lay in heaven is our faith. The acts of when we believed. We didn't lean on our understanding. We trusted in God with all of our heart. I love it that he uses our breath for his glory. As long as we breathe, we have purpose in the Lord. He has a dream. My daughter Kayla would always say, when God formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb, you were his dream come true. I don't want to look for my dreams. I want to look for his dream come true. And I just want to say just quickly, I am, I am, I am, my heart is, is, is stirred up for, for Ireland as I go around, you know, with your, with your sweet parents of your of this congregation with with Catherine and Nick when we go around and I go through these towns that do not have the light and do not have the witness of Jesus and these big towns and there's nobody I would say where's the church here where's is, is there a church here and Nick would say there's no church here this this big town this is your day this is your time this is your mandate this is your commission fear not don't make yourself of any reputation. Don't care. Bring the light of the gospel to Ireland. I, I, I feel that in my heart. But anyhow, I'm going to tell you this really quick story because um, this is part of, not part of what I, we were going to share. But so I went to Guatemala and I wanted to give my life away where nobody wanted to go. And so that was in these, these mountain villages that were isolated and there were no church. And um, so anyhow, I, I heard about this place called um, La Perla. 
And I was living in a, in a little town called Tenango, And I lived with a family that spoke no English. I spoke no Spanish. And it was in a town that two miles away, there was one person that was from Germany that spoke um, some English. But other than that, uh, even my teacher, she would just speak in Spanish and she would point at things. And, um, and I would try to understand her. But actually, six weeks um, into you know, this kind of intense way of learning a language, I was able to get around the country. And um, so I, I was able actually to kind of sort of share in the churches. I, I made a lot of stumbling, um, you know, I, I just tried with all of my heart. I didn't wait until I was polished and, and good. I just, whatever I had, I, I, I put out there. So I, heard, I go to this church in Waiwetanango, and there's a man that comes in, and he, he had walked for hours, and he was dirty, and he was desperate, and he said, we need help. People are dying. The gorillas are, are um, ravishing the villages, and now all of the people are leaving and going to this place called La Perla, and um, people are dying of TB. And nobody wants to come because the missionaries don't even want to come in because the planes are being shot at. And um, we need help. So I knew that this is why I was in Guatemala, to go where nobody wanted to go. Who can snatch me out of the hand of the Almighty? I believed it. We are called to be believers. We must believe. We must believe. We read, but do we believe? So I just believed it. I said, God, nothing, not a bullet, nobody can touch me until you tell me it's time to go home. You know, no matter what the, the case is, if, 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 if I was raped, if I was murdered, if I died of sickness, it didn't matter. I was going to live declaring God is good all the time, all the time. He is good because of the cross. And that was the faith I stood on, not a protection, not of no harm's going to come to me, not of no sickness, because when those trials would come, I would say, my God, my God, where are you? What happened? So my faith was on his goodness. I depended that God, my life is not my own, it's yours. So however you want me to live the life, it's not my breath anymore. I've given my, my whole life to you. So I said, I'm going to go. So I took a 10-hour bus trip to a village, and then we got on the bush plane. I get there to the little grass runway, and a missionary by the name of Vicky was waiting for me, and all the children were running as my, the little bush plane landed. And I came out, and I, I brought all these like little rubber shoes. Now, the, the villagers, they lived in bamboo huts. They washed their clothes on a rock in the river. They um, cooked over a fire, and um, they were very poor, poor dirt floors. And the, um, the majority of them, if not almost all of them, I don't think I know of anybody that had any shoes, um, did not have shoes. I brought these little rubber shoes and I, I would wash their feet and give them, present them with their very first pair of shoes. I mean, you would think it was just the most greatest gift they've ever had to have their first pair of shoes. As I was on the, on the floor, I, I see this man outside and um, on a mule, and it's raining, and there's a big rain poncho on him, and, um, and something stirred in my heart. Now, you have to realize, I thought I was going to die a martyr's death. I read the Fox's book of martyrs. I prepared myself. To, I didn't think I would live long, but I was going to live fully for the Lord, and um, I did not go to Guatemala and to the mountain villages looking for a man. 
I did not go looking for a man. I had my husband. His name was Jesus. And um, so I'm on the floor putting these rubber shoes on, and I look out the window, and I see this man, and it's raining. He's got the rain poncho on, and something stirred in my heart, and I jumped up, and I said, God, is this my husband? And I was like, that was, oh my gosh, that was my voice. I heard that, that came out of me. Oh my Lord, what was that? And I remember saying, oh my gosh, God, you do want me to marry a man in this village. I'm going to live in a bamboo hut. I'm going to wash my clothes on the rock. I'm going to grind my corn on the stone. I'm going to cook over the fire. Oh God, is that the way that I am going to let this, this village know you? And I said, God, I will become poor, so poor. I will never be able to see my mom again. I will never have money to be able to afford being able to fly back to the States. This will become the, the, my life. I don't know if I will know love. I don't know if he will beat me. I don't know what kind of life I will have. And I said, I've never said no to you. But God, I'm so afraid. I don't know if I can say yes. And he tenderly said, Oh, honey, tenderly, am I not the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Have I not left all of my glory in order to be amongst you, to be one with you, that you would know me? Was I not born in a manger? Even the poor support did not birth their children in mangers. And I quickly said, oh, God, you are, if you said yes, who am I to say no? Yes, I'll marry this man that comes in off that donkey. I had a great meal. Yeah, take that back. I had a great donkey. She loved that donkey. <laughs> no, but, you know, I came in, and I was single. I'd been living several years now in Mission Field. Had no thought for getting a wife or being married. I remember visiting my pastor in Tampa, Florida, prior to that. And he's walking down the aisle right before service, and he leans over and says, Michael, what about a wife? I said, who's going to live with me in the mountains, in the jungles? He said, you're right. Just forget about it. Go on down. <laughs> but anyway, so when I came in, I took my poncho off and parked my mule outside and came on in. And Vicky was meeting me at the door, the, the nurse. And Rocky was in the other room with all the locals putting shoes on. And I looked in there and saw her. I said, Vicky, who's that? Oh, she flew in from Barias and she's walking across the little entranceway towards me. She came from Barilla. She's here to join us for a few days. And right in the middle of that, I felt the witness of my spirit that God had brought her there for me. And I said, I interrupted her. I said, Vicki, that's my wife. And Vicki started crying. And her husband was laughing his head off. But Vicki was crying. Women are more spiritual than guys. <laughs> Let's just say that right now. So Vicki walks over and takes me by the hand and says, the minute she's came in with the bush plane and she waved to me because Vicky didn't know Rocky. She just knew she was coming, but she didn't know who she was. And she waved to Rocky through the window. Vicky's telling me this. God told me he brought her here for you. So it took me a couple weeks to nail that all down <laughs> and all that. And it was a trip going home to her parents said, hey, I'm a, a missionary in Guatemala. I came back here to ask you for the, your, hand, your daughter's hand in marriage. <laughs> so but you know what our whole life and I say this we have teams of youth all the time 
young groups, interns. We have churches all over the mountains. They're all locally ran. They're all local ministers. They're the worst drunks. They're the worst machete fighters. Now they're all saved. Now they're all preaching the Word of God. They have so much grace. They have loads and loads of grace because they have been delivered and saved from the very same thing. And now they're all over the mountains. But the young people come. And I tell them all the same thing. I said, I was young. Now I'm not so young. Not old yet. I'm just not so young. But I said, God is faithful. You do not want to live your life and get to 60 years old and look back and say, what have I done with my life? Why did I waste my life? I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how famous you get, how successful you are. A successful life is a person that says, here I am, Lord, use me. Amen. Amen. So we have, like Rocky said, we have all the faith in the world that God is going to do a fantastic work, a massive revival here in Ireland. And it is in our hearts to pray for that. It is in our hearts to carry that with you, to be with you. But that revival will not start necessarily from a pulpit. It's going to start in a marketplace. It's going to start in the store. It's going to start in the office, in the post office. It's going to start in the little stores, in the grocery stores. It's going to start when you and I be the light of the world. We are the revival. We are the revival. And always remember, all you do is take that first step. God is the one that heals, delivers, saves, baptizes with fire. It is God that starts the revival. All he needs is a willing vessel, his church, to say, yes, Lord, I am in. Amen? Thank you. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time.